welcome to Long Hill Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're in the car, on the couch, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. A few years ago, there was a story in the news that really caught my attention. It was the story of the Gold King Mine which is a mine out in Colorado uh, that had been a heavy metals mine, but was an abandoned mine that at the time, uh, no active mining activity was going on. And what had happened when they closed up the mine and they'd finished mining for all the things that they were looking for is they had, uh, they had sealed it all up, but they'd sealed it all up with all of the debris and the wastewater and the runoff and heavy metals and mining fragments and all sorts of other things. And they threw all of that in the former mine and they closed it up and they sealed it and they left it. And what happened when the story came to light a few years ago is the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, had attempted to begin to clean up the mine. And so there was a contractor that went in and they began to mess around with the mine and the entrances and where things were sealed. And to make a long story short, they managed to break the seal on the mine and suddenly all of this stuff, a total of three million gallons of wastewater, of pollutants, of heavy metal and debris, uh, washed out of the mine and washed into the Animus River. And it affected everything downstream, just like the picture behind me shows you. Uh, Some of you have grown up in New Jersey, and so you see a river, and this isn't that big a deal for you. But this is not how rivers are supposed to look. And so there was this tremendous effect that that, uh, happened because of all of the things that were sealed up in this mine. And it was caused by the very agency that was trying to actually make things better with the best of intentions, but, but leave it to the government uh, to mess something up like that. And what had happened is this contractor had underestimated the true nature of the source. They'd underestimated what was really behind that seal in the mine. They'd underestimated how much was there, how easily it would get out, and the effects that it would have far downstream and far away, literally hundreds of miles away from where the mine was located. Here this summer at Long Hill Chapel, we've been in a series called Collide, and it's been a study through the New Testament letter written by James to the early church at Jerusalem. And it's really this very practical book, this practical letter written to early Christians, but to, by extension to us, about how to live in the situations that life presents us with. And we're going to continue in that series today. The previous section in the book of James, James has been writing to his early audience, and he's been talking about something that is as difficult now as it was then, and that is to tame the tongue. The realization that your tongue, that your words, that your speech have incredible power for good or for ill, for life or for death. There's that old saying that says, people may forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And so these early Christians, just like we all do at some level, were struggling with taming the tongue. But one of the things that James says as part of that discourse, as he's speaking to these early believers, is he says, look, not many of you should become leaders or influencers because there's a higher standard. There's more weight that's placed on you. And because you have an incredible effect on the people around you. So it's something that you ought to consider carefully. 
in our time, uh, we live in the age of social media. And one of the interesting phenomena that's happened in our time is there are these things called social media or Instagram influencers. And these are people, by and large, who are famous for the purpose of being famous. They're famous for nothing that they've done or nothing that has accomplished, but because things aligned at the right time and they gained some notoriety in some way. But James gives us a contrast to that. And he says, if you want to be a true influencer, a true leader, and that is actually more of us than we would expect that it is. When we see that word leader in the Christian setting, we think of people like pastors or, or church leaders or, or people who stand in public places and do things. And certainly that applies to people like that. But so many of us have a place of influence in our lives. We're a parent or we're a spouse or we're a friend. There's people who look to us and we set the temperature of our lives and the relationships around us are impacted and influenced by that. And so today, as we begin our study, James is picking up on that thought, and he's saying, if you want to be an influencer, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a teacher, if you want to be someone that people look to, and they take their direction, they navigate their lives by your life, there's this thing that you need to have. You need to have wisdom. And that's a word most of us are familiar with, but wisdom is more than knowledge. You know, very often we think of wise people as people who know a lot of things. But I would argue that at this point in our time, we have more access to knowledge than we've ever had before. With the advent of the internet, we have so much access to knowledge. I have more information on my smartphone than the average person in the ancient world would have encountered in their entire life. And I do the same thing many of you do. I'll wake up in the morning and I'll go read an article about something or I'll go on Wikipedia and learn about something. Maybe some of you don't do that, but that's, that's how I roll. That's how I begin my days. And so we have so much access to knowledge, but more than ever in our world, we look around and we see how people respond and how they react and the temperature of the culture in our world and sometimes even the responses and the reactions of Christians and the church, and we realize that there's something more than knowledge that's needed. And so wisdom is that thing. Wisdom is knowledge that is filtered through experience. You know, when I was a little bit younger, I thought I was pretty smart, and I thought I knew a lot of things. But as I've gotten a little bit older, and there are certainly people who are older than I am, I've realized that it is a very different thing to be wise than to be smart. Because wisdom is about what you do. It's about how you react or how you respond. And I react and respond differently than I did even five years or 10 years and definitely 20 years ago, and hopefully you do too. But wisdom is this knowledge that is filtered through experience. But then it goes even farther, and that's where we're gonna pick up our reading today in the book of James. James says there's even more than just the difference between wisdom and knowledge. There are two different kinds of wisdom. And so how do you know, in short, what kind of wisdom you have. It takes us back to the story with which we began, that the source is revealed by its effects. The source is revealed by its effects. What's bottled up inside, just like that mind that we talked about, is revealed by the effects it has downstream, hundreds of miles away, in every small and large and expected and unexpected way. 
You know, here's a funny illustration of this very profound and significant concept. In our family, we have two little kids, and we have rediscovered fast food. And I say that almost with embarrassment, because for so many years, I would never eat at McDonald's. For some reason, Taco Bell got a pass. But I would just never eat some of the fast food. And now my kids love it, just like your kids probably love it. And we're back into it. And I don't need to go in too much detail for you to understand that a few hours after we've gone to Taco Bell, the source is revealed by its effects. So the source is revealed by its effects. You have the best intentions. You're hungry when you go in and you eat and you somehow hope that you're going to get a pass. But then a few hours later, the source is revealed by the effects. And the same is true with wisdom, as James says it. What flows out and the effect that it has reveals the source. It reveals the wisdom, whether it's godly wisdom or whether it's something else. So we begin our reading today in James chapter 3 and picking up at verse 13. And James writes this to the early believers. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. And so James immediately does what he's done very often in this letter that he's writing. He sets up a contrast between two different ways of living. He says, if you're a truly wise person, it's not going to be about what you know or how many facts and figures or even Bible verses and spiritual things that you know. It's going to be determined by how you live. Remember what we said, the source is revealed by its effects, by deeds that are done in humility that comes from wisdom. But then he sets up this contrast and says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, which is this contrast, it's the opposite of what we've just talked about, don't boast about it, don't glory in it, but also don't deny that it's true. And that asks a question uh, as we read this that we ought to consider, why were his listeners potentially bitter, envious, or selfishly ambitious. And he doesn't give the answer in the text, but we can look at the context in which the book of James was written, and we can see some of the possible answers to that. Uh, many of the early Christians were poor, and there were people around them who were not Jesus followers who seemed like they had a much better life. They seemed like they were living it up in ways that these people who had followed Jesus could not. You know, sometimes there were probably people around them that just looked like they were having a lot more fun. The sinners were having a lot more fun. You know, I think one of the things that happens for us if we're Jesus followers is we, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus, and we get on the road, and we think in some way, or we hope that our lives will be better. And I do believe our lives are better as a result of us following Jesus, but they're not always better in the ways of the world around us. It doesn't mean that we're richer or more successful or able to indulge in some of the things that people around us are. You know, there was someone, and it's a, a quote I forget the source of, they said this, you know, if sin isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. If sin isn't fun, you're not doing it right. And certainly there's consequences, and it's more complex than that. But none of us would fall into sin if there wasn't some reward we got in the immediate. And so it's easy to look around at people who are kind of living however they want and to become a little bitter about that, to become envious about it, to try to make a path for ourselves. And James is saying you cannot continue 
on the path of Jesus and just kind of keep that stuff down there and refuse to do something about it. You have to pull the roots of bitterness, of envy and ambition out. And what happens for many Christians is we just kind of paper them over with a little bit of Jesus talk, but down underneath the condition is the same. But back to the phrase we keep saying over and over again, the effects reveal the source. And so ultimately that stuff comes out. You can seal it up just like that three million gallons of waste in the mind, but eventually and in some way it will come out. And James describes this earthly wisdom. He says, such wisdom, verse 15, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So we have this contrast of the world's wisdom and of godly wisdom. What does the world's wisdom or the world's way of understanding look at? look like. First of all, we discover that it strives for self-advancement. It's always trying to propel itself forward. And sometimes that can be in ambition. It can be in making a way or making a name or cutting a path or using other people or using the resources or the opportunities or the place we've been given in lives to advance ourselves. But he also uses this word. He says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition. What is a harbor? A harbor is a place where you store something, you keep something that eventually is going to take you somewhere. If you're a boat owner, you, 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 you harbor your boat, but eventually you get on your boat and you use it to get somewhere. James is saying there's this, this reservoir of stuff that we use to get ourselves somewhere. And the source of that worldly wisdom is the root of what I think all sin is the root of, and that's pride. And worldly wisdom decreases others while it increases ourselves. You know, there's this tremendous spiritual dimension to this. My best friend, who's also a pastor, his name is Dan. He, he said this, and I thought it was so profound, I wrote it down a few years ago. He said, when our agenda, our viewpoints, and our doctrine cast a dark shadow over selfless love and limitless grace, our platforms melt, our voices diminish, and Jesus cannot be seen. So we can advance ourselves in all of the traditional ways that we understand that to me. But we also can advance our viewpoints. We can advance our agenda. We can do something that's not about the other person. It's about us. And James says that kind of wisdom is worldly. It's not the wisdom that comes from God. So the world's wisdom, it, it strives for self-advancement. The world's wisdom is threatened by other people. There's this outflow that happens around it of insecurity. And it's when we position ourselves, when we feel like we have to maneuver, when we have to navigate, when we have to position ourselves in relation to others. And that can be in, me, in the means of our lives, in terms of our finances and our station in life and how well we're known, but it can also even be in a moral sense where we compare ourselves to other people. And when someone else sins differently than we do, we look down on them. You know, one of the things that has fascinated me is how, like, just focused on other people's sins Christians seem to be. People who aren't in the circle of faith, they're not in the community of the church, they're not Jesus followers, but just how fixated we get on other people's 
sin. And very often, and with the best of intentions, we'll say things like, you know, well, the holiness of God, and we'll talk about us as though we're in the circle and the other people are outside of the circle. And the problem with that thinking is this, that except for the grace of God, except for the work of Jesus Christ, there is no circle because it's something that's offered to me and to you and every single person. But when we live in this insecure way, when we're threatened by other people, when we're always positioning ourselves in a relation to them, when we're finding opportunities for us to step up and to be able to push other people down, it leads somewhere. It leads us to something we see in verses 15 and 16. It produces discord and it leads to evil. And discord is a strong word because it sounds a little bit like disagreement. And any healthy relationship has disagreement, but this is something that's destructive. It's division. It's the dividing and breaking of the relationship, and that leads us somewhere. It weakens, and it destroys. And like we began with, you can tell about the source of something, just like James says in verse 13, from the effects that it has. And so the effect of worldly wisdom is disorder, and it's evil. And if we see these things in our lives, if we see the fruit of our lives being anything that looks like this, we ought to take pause and consider our ways. But here's the contrast. James sets up the contrast of what godly wisdom looks like in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If you want to reap righteousness, you have to sow in a very specific way. Because remember, the source is revealed by its effects. If I plant one kind of plant, I cannot expect another kind of tree to grow up. And that's the analogy that he uses. And so when we fight fire with fire, when we use the ways of the world around us, when we look for something that seems stronger than the way of Jesus to get whatever it is that we think we need so that we can feel secure and so that we can feel significant and so that we can feel safe, we run the risk of sowing something that does not reap a harvest of righteousness. And so peacemakers who sow in peace Reap something. The way you do things in your life has a tremendous effect on what your life will produce. You can do the right thing the wrong way or for the wrong reasons or at the wrong time or in the wrong context, and it will produce the wrong fruit. How we do what we do is as important many times as what we're actually doing. The two things go together. We cannot live our lives in a direction and expect a different kind of fruit to emerge. You would not do that with planting. You wouldn't do it with vegetables. You wouldn't do it with trees or flowers. And you cannot do it with the way you live and the fruit that our lives produce. And church, it is so easy for us to look around, especially when we're feeling a little bit afraid, especially when we're feeling a little bit insecure, and to pick up the tools and the ways and the weapons of the world and to fight in the way that they do. And we will produce a fruit that is anti 
Christ. It is full of evil. It is that other kind of wisdom. But God's wisdom looks like this. God's wisdom is demonstrated, first of all, by living well. And what does that mean, living well? It means you don't just talk, and we've talked already about that in the book of James. You do. Your actions match your words. And maybe you don't speak until your actions can line up with your words. The effects of what you're doing are evident, and you have a life that requires very little narrative. It speaks for itself. You have relationships that speak for themselves. Now, one of the things that's challenging about relationships is so many of us want to influence. So many of us want things to get better. We want to have a position where we influence. Remember what James said about those who become influencers or become teachers. What if in your relationships, instead of immediately trying to influence or to lead or to take the initiative, if you spent time serving and building and submitting? You know, one of the reasons I think that the church in the world that we find ourselves in, it has so little credibility is because it has so much more to say than it has ever done. And so I think a challenge for us would be to allow our deeds to speak first for how we live, for how we respond to circumstances, for how we interact with other people who aren't like us and might even be opposed to us, for how we allow the fruit of Jesus to be seen in our lives. You know, sometimes we we try to speak things to people but they're not received because our lives do not yet have enough credibility to empower our words. Sometimes we try to speak a message and it's not received, it's rejected, and we say, oh, they just don't want to listen, or oh, they want to hear the truth. But really what the issue is, is that we have not built credibility to say the words that we're trying to say. And this is true in every one of your relationships. It's true with husbands and wives and wives and husbands. It's true with parents and children. It's true with friends, but it's certainly true with Christians and each other and Christians and the church and the world around us. We try to say things, but we don't have credibility because we haven't built it yet. And so how do you get that kind of credibility? It's totally unglamorous, and it takes a long time. It's by serving, it's by submitting, it's by listening, it's by building, it's by being, and it takes a long, long time. And then, and maybe then, we have built something that can carry the weight of our words. We've built a relationship that has given us permission to speak, and then we can speak and our words are heard. So God's wisdom, it's demonstrated by living well, but it's also focused on serving others and not ourselves. Remember the word that James used. He used this word humility, which is an interesting word because we think of of humility as just like putting ourselves down. You know, it's not much. I'm not much. I don't amount to much. Humility, you can see the root word is from the root word human, and it's just being in touch with what is true about us. True humility, it's not thinking less of yourself, It's as the saying goes, thinking of yourself less. How do you know if you're being humble or if you're being the opposite of humility, which I believe is is pride or insecurity? 
How much do you filter everything that happens in your day, in your life, in your world, on how it affects you? Someone looks at you the wrong way, and suddenly you're left in this narrative of what did they mean? What are they thinking? And we invent this whole story about what could be going on. Someone cuts you off in traffic, and you do the same thing. Those are signs that there's an insecurity there that needs to be addressed. But humility is being very in touch with who you are and then serving out of that, serving others from the fullness of who you are and not the lack. And so godly wisdom is demonstrated by living well. It's focused on serving others. And it brings peace and not strife. It brings peace. James ends with these words, peacemakers who sow in peace, they reap a harvest of righteousness. And so there's this fruit that comes, and it's not discord, and it's not broken relationships, and it's not a weight that we've placed in other people's lives now that they need to carry. It's peace. It's reconciliation. It's righteousness. So as we close today, how do you make the shift to godly wisdom? Here's what you need to do about it. I'd love to give you like three steps and we're all said and done, but it really goes back to where we began our talk today. And that's this, the source reveals, is revealed by the effects. What is in you is revealed by what comes out of you. The scriptures, it says things like, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we're at our worst moments and there's these things that come out of us, it is very telling about what is inside of us. Look back behind you at the trail of your relationships. Is there a pattern of brokenness or a pattern of wholeness? And I know that life is complex and things don't always go the way we want them to. And there's always another person and their perspective and their issues involved. But one of the things I think that you and I can do if we're gonna become honest about our sources to pay attention to the patterns. What are the things that keep happening over and over again. And you need to figure out your source. I can't do it for you. But just like that mine that we talked about, the Gold King mine, if you do a little bit of digging, you'll find out that source really quickly because the source is, field, is, is, is revealed by the effects. What happens when you're under stress? What happens when things don't go your way? What happens when someone disagrees with you? What happens when you don't get your way? What happens when someone else enjoys success and you don't? Where do you go in those places? There's so many other examples. What happens when you're asked to serve without getting recognition? What happens when you have an opportunity to give of yourself and nobody recognizes that you did it? Become honest about your source. And a great way to reflect on your life as you do this is to look at that list of characteristics in verse 17 again. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. It's not looking to get into fights. It's not looking for the, the, the confrontation that's ugly and ends in brokenness. It's considerate, it's submissive. It says you first. It's full of mercy, not looking for payback. And it produces good fruit, impartial and sincere. The effects of your life your relationships, your legacy look like this. But if they don't, here's the good news. If they don't, you are now in a position 
to do something about it. And you don't do that on your own strength. You don't leave a time like this and hear a message like this and then say, you know, I'm just going to try a little harder. I'm going to put in a little more effort. Yes, certainly we need to do that. But the power of God, if you're a Jesus follower, is at work in your life. And as James writes this book, he's not writing just to individuals. He's writing to a group of people. He's writing to a church. This is something we do together. This is something we spur each other on with. This is something we help each other with. This is something that's about we and something that we do together. And that's where heaven and earth collide. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the power of your word that thousands of years later speaks directly to our time. It speaks directly to the place we very often find ourselves, and it speaks into each one of our hearts. And I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would do the work that only you can do in us. Would you help us become honest about the effects of our lives on the people around us? There's been some things that some of us have been trying to dismiss or make excuses for or blame on someone else or blame on circumstances, and it's time that our lives go in a different direction. Would you shine a light on those places for us, but then would you not allow us to be crushed by the condemnation that we might feel, but instead receive the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel, the hope of redemption, the hope that takes our lives wherever they are and redeems them and forgives our sin and sets our feet on solid ground and gives us a hope and a future that we can walk in with confidence, not because of who we are, but because of who you are and because of what you have done and what you are doing. I pray that we would be people who take this seriously. We would be people who strive for the wisdom that comes from heaven that we would be people of influence, but the right kind of influence. I thank you for what you're doing in each heart, what you're doing here in our church at Long Hill Chapel. We are so thankful to be part of what your spirit is up to. Now help us and give us the courage to take the next step and to do it together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today. To connect with us further, you can visit our website at lhcnj.net or on social media at LHCNJ, and we'll be back next week with another sermon. Until then, have a great week and God bless.